Well, good evening again to everyone in the assembly. It's good to see you. It's good to be in the assembly together. Uh, there's no better place to be on the Lord's Day than with his people and worshiping and taking a few moments to study from his word. Uh, Chris asked me uh, a few weeks ago if I would cover for him when he was uh, gone to Red River. For those who don't know who I am, I'm, my name is Fred Dominguez. My wife and I uh, placed membership here about nine months ago. There are a number of people who have known us from back at our Baker Heights days. Uh, I paid each of them to be quiet about that time. <laughs> but uh, we're, we feel like Oldham Lane has always been a part of our family, if not as immediately as it is now. And we're, we're thrilled to be a part of this, uh, this congregation under the leadership of these great elders. We sometimes hear that when a person loses his sight, his other senses are enhanced somehow to help compensate for that loss. Now, whether that's true or not is a matter of debate, certainly. Uh, the interesting thing from my perspective is you don't ever hear blind people saying that. It's not blind people who say that. Of all of our senses, certainly our sight and our hearing are likely the two most difficult for us to overcome if we lose them. Even a temporary loss of either of these senses seriously affects our ability to function. Now, in the case of vision, there's an interesting aspect of that I think that probably all of us are familiar with. A person may have perfect sight, but still not see something right in front of him. If you're reading through a set of instructions of some sort or a, a long list of things, uh, maybe you've been sent to the grocery store with a long list of things to, to purchase. We sometimes will read through there and miss something. We'll not see something that's in plain sight right before our eyes. It isn't that we cannot see. We have, we say, overlooked that particular thing. In other instances, an object may be camouflaged somewhat, so it's more difficult for us to see. There are certain vision tests, uh, assessment-type tests that are uh, given in which a, a person is shown a, a colored disc, and within that disc, they are asked to identify the number that is inscribed in that disc, and the number is just slightly a variant color from the background, the main background color of the disc. Some people cannot see that number, and we say that they are colorblind. In ancient times, of course, blindness was probably more common than it is today, certainly in Western culture. And it certainly was more devastating to its victims. Uh, short of a miraculous healing at the hands of the Lord, and by the way, when you read Scripture, when you get into the Gospels, one of the primary signs of the Messiah was that he would give sight to the blind. No one had done that before Jesus. So if you're a blind person in the first century, you had no hope short of meeting Jesus or later one of his apostles and perhaps being healed by them. There is a case, however, of a man who became blind. And while he was blind, he saw some things that completely changed his life and completely changed his eternal destiny. And when his sight was restored, this man saw 
as he had never seen before. He saw all the way to the crown of righteousness that is going to be awarded to him at the last day. Most of us know who I'm talking about. That man was Saul of Tarsus. And what he saw while he was blind turned him into a man that God could use for his purposes to do great things in the kingdom. The things that Saul saw while he was blind can still help us today if we take heed of them and respond to them as he did. So for a few moments this afternoon, we're going to look at the conversion of Saul. We're going to see the things that he saw while he was blind that forever changed his life. If you'd like to open up your Bibles, the text is Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 9. And forgive me if you're using an iPad or your smartphone or something, do whatever it is to get that open. Uh, I'm old school there, you know. <laughs> but anyway, we're looking at Scripture. Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 9, the Scripture says, As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled around with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Again, most of us who have been in the church for any length of time know this story. We've read it many, many times. It's one of my favorite conversion stories in the book of Acts. Saul of Tarsus, traveling to the road, the road that leads to Damascus, he thought he was on a mission from God. He was in search of Christians, and if he found them even in Damascus, he was going to bring them bound back to Jerusalem to stand trial in front of the Jewish council. As Saul was traveling that day to that faraway city, he could clearly see his mission he could see his duty, and he was doing it with a fervor that was unmatched by any of his peers. As he traveled to that city, Luke tells us he saw a flash of blinding light shining down on him from heaven. Then he heard the voice of Jesus speaking to him, a man whom he had up to this point considered to be a blasphemer, a man that he had considered up to this point to have been rightfully put to death for claiming to be the Son of God. And that light shined around him, and the Lord spoke to him there on that road. And when the light disappeared, Saul saw nothing at all, for his eyesight had been taken away from him by the Lord. After his conversation with the Lord, those who were with him had to lead him by the hand. He couldn't see where he was going. They took him into the city of Damascus in order to complete his journey. Now look at the last part of this, this verse of Scripture. It says, he was three days without sight. Three days he went without sight. He sat in his blindness in this house, waiting for the message that Jesus said would come to him in the city. But he was not idle as he did so. In verse 9, the scripture tells us that he was uh, fasting for those three days. He didn't eat any food for three days. Now, fasting was a way in which a, a righteous person might consecrate himself, devote himself in, in terms of his spiritual uh, focus 
when approaching some challenging matter in order to serve God. But it was also a way in which a penitent person could demonstrate his penitence before God. And that's what's going on here. Saul was penitent. He was beginning to see the light, as it were. And his fasting was a sign of his penitence. Verse 11 also tells us that he was praying during the course of three days. So Saul was not wallowing in self-pity. Saul was not sitting there saying, oh, woe is me. How am I going to do all the things that I've been uh, tasked to do by the Jews? Uh, why did God pick on me in this way? No, no, he was doing something different. Saul had turned to God, a God that at this point he still did not know, a Savior that he still did not know. But he realized something had happened that changed his perspective. He was humbling himself before God in penitence, waiting for instructions. The Lord said, go into the city to be told you what you must do. And he's waiting for those instructions. And he's penitently humbling himself before God to get those, those instructions. And it's while he was blind, during these three days of fasting and prayer, that Paul began to see clearly for the very first time. We've got to ask the question, what did he see? Saul was blind, but he began to see. And what was it that he actually saw? Well, the first thing that he saw through his blind eyes is that seal for God is not enough in and of itself. We had a wonderful lesson on zeal this morning from Jake, and I didn't get a chance to talk to him this morning to tell him what a great job Jake did with that lesson this morning. This is a little bit different focus on zeal. Saul, through his blind eyes, saw zeal for God is not enough. We understand that zeal in its positive sense denotes a passionate devotion to someone or to something. And that certainly was true of Saul of Tarsus. There's no question that this is a zealous man. Many of the Jews who were, were zealous for God in the first century, but none were as zealous as Saul of Tarsus. His zeal far surpassed all those others. Think of the things that, that the Scripture tells us about him that demonstrates his zeal. In Acts chapter 7, verse 58, after Stephen had made this wonderful, impassioned uh, plea and, and this proclamation of Scripture to the Jewish council, they drug him out to stone him to death, and Saul of Tarsus was there, and he held the robes of those who stoned Stephen to death. But Saul was not just an idle spectator. The very next chapter, chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, tells us that he was in hearty agreement with them as they were putting Stephen to death. And not only that, but he personally instigated a terrible persecution against Christians. He personally got involved. His zeal was so great, he said, I must do this myself. And he began to seek Christians and, and ravage the church, finding people and throwing them into prison uh, all throughout the city of Jerusalem. Many of the Jews of the first century certainly hated Christians and hated the idea of Christ. There's no question of that. But very few people actually put that zeal for God and that hatred of Christians into practice like Saul of Tarsus did. And this is why he was traveling all the way to Damascus looking for Christians. His zeal knew no bounds. But while he was blind, he saw that his zeal for God had been misguided. 
He saw that by persecuting Christians, he wasn't doing God's work. He was doing Satan's work. Through his blind eyes, he finally saw, I'm not doing God's will. I'm doing Satan's will. And we know that this is true because of things that he wrote later, uh, later in his letters to the churches. In Romans chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, two of the verses that, that Jake expounded for us this morning. Let's look at those for just a moment here to see again uh, the, the results of Saul's revelation in, in his mind here and his experience with the Lord. He says, For I testify about them that they have a zeal for God, but not in accordance with knowledge. For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. The clear implication of this statement is not just a condemnation of Jews that were no longer believers. The implication of this statement is that Paul recognized that he had been sinning against God by persecuting Christians. Because he had refused to believe in Jesus, he actually did not know the God for whom he was so zealous. He, like so many other Jews of that time, had violated God's will by rejecting the Messiah for whom they'd been waiting for generations. And he had substituted his own will for God's will because he did not understand God's will. He didn't recognize the Messiah when he saw him. And for the first time in his life, Saul clearly saw that zeal for God alone is not enough to please God. As he sat in his blindness, he also saw something else that turned his world literally upside down. Saul saw that his religious heritage was wrong. Now think about that for a moment. This is one of the reasons why I love the conversion story of Saul of Tarsus. It's something that has very practical application for our time and place. We meet a lot of people with a rich religious heritage that is skewed from God's word. And people are clinging to their religious heritage because it is their heritage. But here's an example of somebody who realized that his heritage was wrong. He had a rich heritage as a Jew, one in which Saul was justifiably proud. In Acts chapter 22 and verse 3, as he's making his defense before the Jews, he spoke about this rich heritage. He spoke about the confidence that he'd had as a Jew. He spoke about those things of which he had been proud before he understood Christ. He said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, educated under Gamaliel, strictly according to the law of our fathers, being zealous for God just as you all are today. When you read that statement, Paul was making reference to his background and his training as a Pharisee. You see, he wasn't just a Jew. He was a Pharisee. And he wasn't just a Pharisee. He was a student of the, the most renowned Jewish rabbi of the Pharisee party. The man's name was Gamaliel. This was the most influential and renowned man at that time. We know that this is the case because in Acts chapter 5, verses 34 to 39, when the Jewish council is trying to decide what should we do with these apostles, Gamaliel stood up and gave his advice. And he was such an influential rabbi that the council agreed to do what Gamaliel had said. And this is the man who taught Saul of Tarsus. On two other occasions in his letters, Paul spoke about 
the, the, the time that he had spent as a Jew, where he had come from as a Jew to become an apostle of Christ. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 to 6 is one of these occasions. He spoke in that uh, instance there in this letter to the church of Philippi. He spoke of the confidence that he held as Saul of Tarsus. He said, I'm a Benjamite. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee. I was a persecutor of the church. I was blameless before the law. All of these are things that to the Jewish mind were great things. This is a rich, rich heritage. In the letter to the Galatians, chapter 1, verses 13 and 14, he told these churches that his zeal for, for being a Jew, his zeal as a Jew, led him to persecute the church. He said, I was advancing beyond many of my contemporaries. I was doing things that no one else was willing to do. I had this rich religious heritage. I was a rising star among the Jews. I was destined for greatness as a Jew. That's the Saul of Tarsus who met Jesus on the road. But when he was blind, when Saul of Tarsus was blind, he saw that all of this religious heritage, all these things of which he had been so justifiably proud previously, had actually led him astray from God. His upbringing, his training, his experiences, his exploits as a Jew had all been contrary to God's will. And they had separated him from the very God for whom he was so zealous. We know that this is the case. This, we know that this is what he saw because of other things that he wrote. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 9, he's speaking about the Lord's post-resurrection appearances. He's about to discuss resurrection in a very complete way to the, in this letter to the church in Corinth. But he says in verse 9 about himself, the Lord appeared to me lastly, and then he says, for I am the least of the apostles and not fit to be an apostle because I persecuted the church. Through his blind eyes, Saul of Tarsus saw my entire religious heritage, my entire religious upbringing actually separated me from God instead of served him. In his first letter to Timothy, chapter 1, verses 12 to 15, Paul spoke of this period of his life again. He said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am foremost of all. Paul clearly, openly, strongly, directly says my religious heritage was wrong. And I didn't get it right until I saw what I saw when I was blind. Before he became blind, he was proud of his zeal in persecuting the church. He was proud of doing everything he could to destroy it. He was proud of the fact that he had this rich religious heritage, a Jew among Jews, a Hebrew of Hebrews. But in his blindness, he saw how wrong his religious upbringing had been. And as Paul the apostle, Paul the Christian, he was sorry for everything that he had done against the church. As a devout and zealous Jew, he had been a blasphemer and a persecutor. And he had been dead wrong in his religious heritage. 
He was so confident of where he had come from as a Jew, but he realized when he was blind that he was dead wrong. And he only saw it when he became blind. Only then did he see what he needed to see. When Saul the zealot, Saul the exemplary Jew, Saul the persecutors of the church became blind, he saw the truth for the very first time. That's the third thing that he saw. He saw the truth. And when he finally saw the truth, he also saw the way to eternal life. Acts chapter 22 is one of the places where Paul tells his conversion story. When you read it in Acts chapter 9, you get a little bit of it. You read it in chapter 22, you get some more. You read it again in chapter 26 as he stands before Agrippa, you get a little bit more of it. You put it all together, you've got the whole picture. But in Acts chapter 22, Paul is standing before a mob of angry Jews here. He's trying to defend himself before them. He tells them of his experience. He tells them what happened on the road to Damascus. He tells them about his encounter with the Lord and his encounter with a preacher named Ananias in the city of Damascus. He told them how he had fasted and prayed for three days waiting to hear the message that the Lord said would be brought to him in that city. And when Ananias came to him, Ananias restored Saul's sight and then he told the, sold Saul of Tarsus what the Lord had in store for him. Look at Acts chapter 22, verse 16. Because here's where Paul the apostle tells this crowd of Jews, here's what I had to do. Here's what the Lord had in store for me. This is what the preacher said I needed to do. Ananias said to Saul of Tarsus, now why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. When Saul was blind, he saw at that moment that he was still separated from God and lost in his sins. Think about his story. This is a man who saw and spoke to Jesus personally on the road to Damascus. But seeing Jesus and hearing a message from him and speaking to him did not save him. That did not remove his sins. He came to the city of Damascus. He fasted and he prayed for three days, penitent in heart, humbled before God. But that fasting and that praying did not save him. He had come from a rich religious heritage in Judaism. He had done all of his life very zealously everything he could to serve God in accordance with the law. And he had spent the last three days before Ananias came to him uh, praying and fasting and penitently seeking God. But for all of that, when Ananias came and restored his sight, he was still in his sins. The things that happened to Saul of Tarsus are like what, what many people in the religious world today say we need to do in order to be saved. But in Saul's case, none of those things saved him. It was only when he obeyed the command of Ananias to get up and be baptized and wash away his sins that his sins were removed from him. This was the truth. This is the only way to eternal life. And Saul of Tarsus didn't see it until he was blind. Now, when he made his defense before Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, Paul told the king in, recording, in recounting this story, 
He told the king that he did not, he did not prove disobedient to this heavenly vision. He said, King Agrippa, when, I, when all these things happened to me out here in the, uh, in the road to Damascus, when all these things happened to me out on the road to Damascus, I didn't hesitate to do what I was told to do. As soon as Saul knew the truth, he immediately obeyed it. He immediately became a Christian, and he spent the rest of his life in faithful service to the Lord. That's what Saul did, but he had to become blind in order to see that this was the way he needed to go. But when he did see it, he did not hesitate to obey it. There's a statement in Jeremiah chapter 5 and verse 21. The Lord is speaking to Judah through the prophet Jeremiah, and he said to them that they had eyes, but they could not see, that they had ears, but they did not hear. And as a result, God brought his judgment upon Judah because they failed to see and they failed to hear. May we never be like Judah in this respect. Let us open our eyes so that we can see what a blind man saw. Let us open our eyes so that we can see that zeal for God must be in accordance with his will, with his written word. Let us open up our eyes to see that religious heritage, no matter how great it may appear to be, if it does not coincide with God's will, it's leading us astray and we need to leave it behind because it will not save us. Let us open our eyes and see the truth of God's word, which is the one and only way to eternal life. So when we think about what happened to Saul of Tarsus and what Saul saw while he was blind, we have to ask this last question. What do we see? What do you see? This is not an exercise in theoretical theology here. This is the nuts and bolts of eternal destiny. What do you see tonight? Do you see what a blind man saw? If so, why do you delay? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And if you don't see what a blind man saw, open your eyes and look again because the truth of God's word is right there before us. And there's a man named Saul who became Paul the Apostle. From paradise this very night, if he could speak to you directly, would say, open your eyes and see what I saw when I was blind so that you can be with me and all the redeemed with the Lord at the end of time. If you don't see what the blind man saw, open your eyes to the way of eternal life because that's the only way any of us have hope both here and in eternity. What do you see tonight? If you're not yet a Christian, get up and be baptized and wash away your sins. I know the water's ready. I know there are many here who would be happy to help you be immersed into Christ, have your sins washed away. Maybe you're one of his children and you're struggling with something in your life. Maybe you've let your eyes get clouded over by various things that are going on in your lives. Open your eyes and see what the blind man saw. Come back to the Lord in penitent uh, belief and, and ask for forgiveness. 
I know the elders here will pray for you and pray with you so that you can be restored to your first love with the Lord. What do you see? Make it be what the blind man saw so that you can be uh, with him and with all the redeemed and with the Lord in heaven at the end of time. If we can help you in any way this evening to make your decision or to answer any questions with that regard, why don't you come right now while we stand together and while we sing?